Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. We read from Genesis 37 a moment ago. You will recognize this statement. It's one of the great statements, I think, in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, and this is Joseph speaking, he said, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good. You planned evil against me, but God turned around in his providence and used it for good. Certainly, it is one of the classic lines in one of the most beloved and, I think, great Old Testament stories, the story of Joseph and his brothers. So let me put the context in the background for you for this story. Most of you are quite familiar with it. Joseph's brothers were fearful. Remember, there were the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And Joseph's brothers were fearful now that Jacob was dead, their father, and Joseph was ruling over Egypt and all the surrounding territory, that Joseph would take his wrath out on them because they had sold him into slavery when he was younger. And now he was the ruler in Egypt. They were fearful that Joseph would retaliate against them for their evil treatment of him many years earlier in life when they sold him into slavery. But Joseph, Joseph had the mind of God. Joseph had come to understand that he, by God's providence, was the salvation of his brothers and their family, the genesis or the beginning of the nation of Israel. He understood that. And the drama starts back in chapter 37 where we read, but I want to read to you, open your Bibles to Genesis 42. If you haven't already turned there, Genesis 42 gives us even greater context of what we're talking about here. The drama starts in Genesis 42. The Bible says, and when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, or he'd heard and understood that there was grain in Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his other brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went down to buy grain amongst those who journeyed. So they were coming from all around the world, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor, or prime minister, we would probably say today, over the land, and it was he who sold, sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. It had been many years. But he acted as though a stranger to them and spoke roughly, crudely, angrily, maybe we would say, to them. And he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Verse 8, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed, what we read about just earlier. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them, and he said, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land or the vulnerability of the land. And they said, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. 
Uh, I can't read the whole chapter, so let's skip down to verse 17. He put them all together in prison. He arrested them, had them sent to prison. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, after they'd been sweating in prison for a while, do this and live, for I fear God. Uh, He no doubt uses the name for God that they were familiar with. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to this prison house, but you, the rest of you, go and carry grain for the famine in your houses. And bring your youngest brother, because they said, we're all sons. We're 12 sons of one man. One is gone, and one is back home with our father. So he was saying, I'm going to test you to see if you made that story up or if it's true. And bring your youngest brother, verse 20, to me, so your words will be verified, and then you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another after they left Egypt, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, that's talking about Joseph, and we would not hear him. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them. Remember, Reuben was the one that said, don't kill him. Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them. Joseph was within earshot. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter and he turned himself away from them And he wept. Then he returned to them again, and he talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and to restore every man's money back to his sack and to give them provision for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain, and they departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money that they had paid for the grain. And there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? So, because the famine was so desperate in the land of Canaan, Jacob sends his 10 remaining sons, not not his youngest son, Benjamin, but his 10 remaining sons. He says, go down to Egypt and buy grain or we're going to die. And so they go down there, and Joseph, being the prime minister, is the one that's, that's handling the transactions. Probably had others that were helping him, but he was handling the transactions, especially amongst the foreigner. And he instantly recognizes his brother, even though at least 13 to 15 years had passed since they had sold him into slavery. Joseph was young, so now he's grown up. He's dressed like an Egyptian, probably with a shaved head, and the Jews had long beards and long hairs, and they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them, and he interrogates them. He knows the family, but he, he, they don't know that he knows them. And he keeps Simeon there in Egypt. 
And he says, if you want to verify that you are telling me the truth and that you're not spies, then you'll be able to go up back to the land of Canaan and you'll bring that younger brother who I will be able to tell that is your brother and you'll bring him back here to me. And then I'll allow you to live and I'll release Simeon. But if you don't bring him back here, Simeon will die and never come back to the land of Egypt for grain ever again because we won't sell it to you. Well, they go back up there and they tell their father, Jacob, all this story. Simeon's down in Egyptian prison. They don't want to venture back down there because they know that it could be the end of them. But they're starving after they use up the grain that they had purchased. They're starving. And so they go back down to the land and they bring Benjamin. Finally, Jacob relents and he allows them to take Benjamin with them. And then Joseph sees Benjamin his literal brother, same father and same mother as uh, he had. So he sees his brother. He's emotionally overcome knowing that his brother is alive. Then he sells them the grain and he puts their money back in their sacks. And he takes his divination cup and he puts it into the sack of his brother Benjamin. And before they get that far out of Egypt, the army overtakes them, the soldiers overtake them and said, someone has stolen Joseph, the prime minister's divination cup. And they said, it wasn't us. Absolutely, it's not us. And so they search the sacks and it's found in the sack of grain of Benjamin. And they rent their clothes. They can't believe this has happened. What is God doing? How did this possibly ever happen? And now they're hauled back down to Egypt. And Joseph said, don't you know that I divine the future? And that's my diviner's cup. And he's making this up. And he says to them, because you've stolen the diviner's cup, you're going to pay for this. And he puts them in prison. And there they are lamenting over their treatment of Joseph. And then Joseph calls them into his chamber. And he says, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And even though you meant it for evil when you sold me into slavery and thought about killing me, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God brought me down here and I'm protecting you because the famine is going to go on for a number of years. So bring your family down here. Bring Jacob, my father. Bring your children down here. Bring all of your grandchildren down here and you will live and not die. And they're slack-jawed. Their eyes are saucers. They can't believe that Joseph is alive. And he says, come near to me. And he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. He says, I am your brother Joseph. And they can't believe it. They're just dumbfounded. He says, now don't fall out in the way. In other words, don't get in an argument on your way back to Canaan. I'm going to send with you animals and carts and you bring all of your young children and our ancient father, Jacob, back down here and I will provide for you houses and land and you will live here during the famine. Well, Joseph reveals himself to him. You just got to almost read the words. Look at Genesis chapter 45, just a few verses here. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out of the room. All the Egyptians out. So no one stood with him while Joseph made known to himself to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. 
Does my father still live? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. They came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, but God sent me here to preserve your life. What a story. There are many parallels between Joseph and Jesus. We don't have time to review all of them. They were both beloved of their father. They were both forced into Egypt. They were both rejected by their brethren. They both overcame temptation. They both saved their people. And that's just a few of them. Matter of fact, Alexander McLaren, the preacher and commentator, says there's 146 similarities between Joseph and Jesus. He might have stretched it a little bit. But regardless, regardless, Joseph instructs his brothers to return back to the land of Canaan to inform Jacob, their father, of the good news that he's alive and he's going to provide for them in Egypt. Now picture in your mind, they've been feeling guilt for 15 years about killing or at least selling their brother into slavery. And now he's alive and not only is he alive, he's the head of Egypt. He's the prime minister of Egypt, and he wants to provide for them so they don't starve to death back in the land of Canaan. And so he sends them back there, and you can imagine the excitement, the joy, the effervescence of bubbling over as they go full tilt back to the land of Canaan on their donkeys or on their camels or whatever they were riding. Breakneck speed as they get close to the encampment where their father is. And Simeon busts into the tent where Jacob is. And Simeon says, Dad, Dad, Joseph is alive. And the Bible says in Genesis 45, 27, that Jacob revived. In other words, like life came back into him. And about the time he got the words out of his mouth, uh, Judah breaks into the tent and opens the flap door and says, Dad, Dad, not only is Joseph alive, but Joseph is Lord. He is the boss man over all of Egypt. Can you believe it? He gets the words out of his mouth and Reuben comes running in. He says, Dad, Dad, not only is Joseph alive and Joseph is Lord, but Joseph still loves us. (laughs) He forgives us for what we did to him. And then Levi, you know, the priestly line comes running into the tent. He says, Dad, Dad, not only is Joseph alive, not only is Joseph Lord, not only is Joseph love us, but Joseph longs for us. He said he's got houses for us. He's got lands for us. He's going to provide for us. Now remember Benjamin, the beloved of Joseph and the beloved of Jacob, who had come back to Egypt to get the final sale. He comes running in and says, Dad, Dad, Joseph is alive and he's Lord and he loves us and he longs for us, but he's loaded. (laughs) He's rich. He owns it all. He's the boss man of Egypt and he's going to share it with us. And Jacob is revived and they begin to make provisions for him to come down and all of the family to Egypt where they'll be for the next 400 years. Now, as thrilling as that story is and as a favorite as as it is to so many of us as Christians, it would have never happened. It would have never come to be 
If Joseph hadn't learned three lessons that we want to look at this morning, three lessons that Joseph learned and he applied these critical truths to his life that all of us need to learn. All of us need to take the lessons that God has recorded for us. The Bible is not just stories, it's theology. And take the truths from this story and apply them from the Bible to our life. Number one, the first lesson is, it is not what you remember, but what you decide to forget. It's not what you remember, but what you decide to forget. Now, I want you to talk back to me. I want you to answer me for just a moment here this morning with a yes or a no to my question. Had Joseph been wronged by his brothers? Yes, he had. Had Joseph been lied about by Potiphar's wife when she said he tried to rape me? Had he been lied about? Yes. Had Joseph been forgotten by the butler who promised to remember him before Pharaoh when he interpreted his dream? Was he forgotten about? Yes, he had. Why am I saying that? Because humanly speaking, there were plenty of reasons. There was a lot of fodder. There was plenty of ammunition for bitterness in the life of Joseph. He had been wronged by his, his brothers. He had been wronged by Potiphar's wife who wanted to commit adultery with him. He had been wronged by the people in the prison who had ruled over with graciousness. He had been forgotten about. He had plenty of reason to become bitter and angry and, and just write God off in his life. But he didn't. Matter of fact, Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, the Bible tells us Joseph had two sons. And he names them. The Bible gives us their name. The first son's name was Manasseh, which means forgetting. And he named him Manasseh, not because he always left his lunch pail on the countertop when he went to school, or he forgot to shut the lights off in his room or something like that. He didn't name him forgetting because Manasseh was forgetful. Joseph was saying, with this son that's born in Egypt, I am forgetting all the evil, all the hardship, all the trials I've been through. I'm going to trust God for the future. I'm going to forget everything that bad that's happened to me. I'm going to choose not to remember those things anymore. I'm not going to remember, I'm not going to rehearse the bad, the evil that's been done against me, but only the good. That's what he's saying when he named his son Manasseh or forgetting. Now let me speak to you. Maybe you have experienced rejection by your family. Some of us have. Maybe you've been cheated in business, as no doubt people here have. Maybe you've been slandered by a colleague, as some here have. Maybe you've been dumped by a friend or a partner, as some no doubt here have. Let me say to you, let go of it. Don't keep rehearsing it. 
Don't remember it. That's the first lesson that we learn from Joseph. You have to hang on to the good. You have to hang on to the scripture. Romans 8, 28, the New Testament verse says, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So the Bible says, even the evil, even the hardships that happen to us in life, God sends them into our life for our good. In other words, for the betterment of our character for the conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we forget the evil. Some of you maybe have withdrawn yourself almost from being a witness for Christ or in ministry and serving God because you feel like you got hurt or you didn't get recognized or you weren't rewarded or people said bad things to you. Listen, serving in ministry and being a Christian that loves God, it's not easy. There's a dropout rate. Don't quit. Some of you have heard me say that the study was done by Southeastern Seminary, the Baptist Seminary, one of the uh, largest seminaries in the Southern Baptist Convention. There are five uh, major seminaries. They did a study that those who graduated with their Master of Divinity degree from seminary, 25 years later, only one in 25 are still in the ministry. Only one pastor out of 25 pastors are still in the ministry 25 years later. Things have happened in their ministry and people and the way they were treated or whatever had happened or they gave up or whatever. They hung on to the wrong things and they forgot about the good things in many cases. And that can happen to everyday normal Christians. The Bible is teaching us Joseph is teaching us, it's not what you remember. I'm not saying don't try and remember anything good. It's not what you remember, but it's what you decide to forget that's so important. Number two, it's not what you achieve, but what you become. It's not what you achieve in life, but what you become in life. Now, Joseph could have boasted He could have boasted how he overcame the obstacles in his life. How he pulled himself up from his own bootstraps. From being a slave to being a prisoner, now being the prime minister. He could have written his own campaign slogans. He didn't really run for the office. It was appointed to him. But if he was running for the office, he could have written his own campaign slogans from prison to presidency. Or refugee rises to the top or ability and tenacity overcome adversity. He could have written his own slogans. Joseph was literally the genius behind the rescue of the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt. He was literally the rescue of the nation that was in the grips of famine and starvation because of his foresight given to him by God, but because of his foresight, they had full granaries. And out of respect, as he rode his chariot down the street, people bowed before him out of respect and gratitude towards his foresight. Remember, for a long time, Joseph was a nobody. He was a slave. He was a prisoner. He was the lowest of the low. That was Joseph. You've heard me say that never confuse prominence with significance. 
You don't have to be in a prominent position to have significance. Joseph had significance as a household slave. He had significance when he was in prison. He had significance as he rose to prime minister. But don't confuse the two, prominence and significance, because they're not the same. Most of us will never have prominence, but we can have significance. It was through his surrender to God and God's sovereign will and with the sincere forgiveness of his brothers that his family and the seed of the Messiah were preserved. Because he trusted in God and he forgave those that hurt him and intended to hurt him in an evil way, because of those two things, the seed of the Messiah was preserved through the nation of Israel. His character had developed to the point that God could now greatly use him. And it was all that issue right there. That was the turn of the phrase. It was the development of his character that God says, now I can really use you, Joseph. He became wise, not cynical. Gracious, not bitter. God-dependent, not self-reliant. And God did use him. Joseph's character is demonstrated by the graceful way in which he handled the setbacks in his life. You can tell that God was operating in his life by how he handled the setback. And that's still true to us today. You can tell if God's at work in our life by how we handle our setbacks in life. We can't control our circumstances We can't control how people react against us or how they treat us, their actions toward us, but we can allow the Spirit to control our reactions. We can become Spirit-controlled and Spirit-filled so we react in the way that pleases God and we see the character of God operating in our life. And that's what Joseph did. Your attitude is your choice. Your attitude in life is your own choice. We understand that. Now, I will admit, and I think all of us would admit our character in certain ways. I know who I am and how I'm driven to accomplish some things and and have been for some time. I can be driven. I can be goal-oriented. I can live by the to-do list. I write them out almost every day. I put them in my phone. I have a list of all the things I had to accomplish. I was in Arizona on Friday, got home 1130 Friday night, and Saturday I had a long list of things I had to do, as well as speaking three times today. I know I can be driven, goal-oriented, live by the list, but I'm learning. I say I am learning, active tense. I am learning that relationships trump achievements. Relationships are more important than achievement. That doesn't mean that we don't try and achieve something, but relationships trump achievements. We tend to focus on accomplishment. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us focus on spiritual development. Spiritual development. So all of us here today, 
need to say, God, I surrender my situation. I surrender my personality. I surrender my character, the Holy Spirit of God. Do your work in me. You're the sovereign God. You bring things into my life. You do your work in my life. You can see the image of Christ reflected in my life. It is not what you achieve, but what you become. What are you becoming in the stage of life that God has you in? Number three, and finally, it is not how high you climb, but how low you bow. It is not how high you climb, and Joseph climbed the ladder. He was the prime minister of the greatest nation on earth at the time. The superpower of the ancient world. It is not how high you climb, but how low you bow, and we see him doing that. Trace Joseph's career path. We talk about curriculum vitae. We talk about resumes. We talk about career path. Trace Joseph's career path. The runt of the litter, the little brother, Bedouin shepherd, pit dweller for a short period of time, pit dweller, household slave, prisoner, dungeon dweller, prime minister of the greatest nation on earth. Now that's an unusual career path. That's not how we would map it out, but that's how God mapped it out to become the president of the greatest nation in the ancient world. And one of the key moments in Joseph's life, and I want you to turn there and hopefully maybe even underline it in your Bible, is in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 16. Genesis 41 and verse 16. It says, now Joseph has been in prison for at least 13 years, we know. He's interpreted the dreams. The butler forgot him. Finally, he remembers him after the Pharaoh has some bad dreams. He's worried about these dreams that he has, the skinny cows eating the fat cows, et cetera, et cetera. And the butler says, hey, wait a minute, I know a guy from prison. He, every dream he interpreted came to pass. It was true in my life. They hustle Joseph out of the prison. They bathe him, probably shave his head, shave his beard, clean him all up, put him in Egyptian dress, and march him into the throne room of the greatest ruler on earth in that day, Pharaoh, who's been troubled, unable to sleep because of this dream. And he recites it to Joseph. And he says, can you interpret this dream? Look at verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh and he said, it is not in me. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He's saying to him in our vernacular, he's saying, Pharaoh, don't think I'm somebody special. Don't think I have superhuman powers. Don't think I'm God's gift to humanity. He's saying, it is not in me, but God. That's what he says. But God, if he chooses, can give you the answer that you're looking for. In nuclear fusion, it's called critical mass. It's that moment where the success or the failure of the mission, either something blows up or something is harnessed with tremendous power. 
In football, it's called the red zone. It's the moment that determines either the success or failure of the play. In the rocket science, it's called liftoff. Either it goes up or it blows up. And that's the moment right here, I believe, Genesis 41, verse 16. How would Joseph respond to this opportunity that God has put right in front of him? And he says, it is not in me, it is God. He is saying what we all should know. He is saying, it is not my ability, nor is it my opportunities, but it is my humility before the Lord that is so important. And that was true of Joseph, and that's true of us. That's true of every one of us. We can't say, it's my ability that got me to this place, or it's the opportunities that have fallen out to me. No, we have to say, it is my humility before the Lord. If God used me at all, it's because I know how lowly I am. And his power could be shown through me. Although it was hardly noticed, verse 16, it would be easy to read over chapter 41, verse 16, and not really understand the importance and and what a pivotal moment it was in Joseph's life. It's a crowning moment. Joseph could have answered it wrongly. Joseph could have answered it arrogantly, proudly. He could have said, he could have said, Listen, you looking for a dream interpreter? I got a track record. You looking for a senior purchasing agent? Man, I know what I'm doing in that realm. You looking for an executive planner for the next seven years? I know how to plan for the future. He could have said, Pharaoh, I'm your man. I'm what you've been looking for. I can save this nation. He doesn't say any of those things. He said, it is not in me, but God. Pharaoh didn't know God. Joseph witnessed to him about God. It is not in me, but God. Joseph was not a glory grabber. He was a glory giver. And that's why God used him. He was not grabbing the glory for himself. Look what I can do. Look how I've been used in the past. Look how I've overcome my obstacle. He's not a glory grabber. He's a glory giver. It is of God. And he continued to do that to Pharaoh and all of Egypt throughout the rest of his life. He had learned that God sets up and God takes down. So let me ask you some questions here as we wrap up. Who is Lord of your life? Now that's a different question than who is your Savior. Lord means boss and ruler. He may be your Savior today, but is he your Lord Are you living life on your own terms? Or are you trying to live life on God's terms and bring him glory? Who is Lord in your life? Second question. Do you receive the difficulties and disappointments of life as coming from God's hand for your betterment and others' good? You say, well, God, that's what I would have chose for myself. 
I wouldn't have picked this set of circumstances or this trial or this heartache, but God, I know that you're good and that you bring everything into my life to change me, to make the character of Christ be seen in my life. So I accept it, Lord. I accept it. And I thank you for it. Is that how you respond? When it's all said and done in life, that's the title of my message. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done in this life, do you know Jesus so intimately that he can sustain you through the unbearable times? Joseph did. And I hope that you do. Or that you will know him so intimately in the future because those times are coming. There will be times in your life that if it it wasn't for you hanging on to God, you could walk away. If it wasn't for hanging on to God, you could throw it all away. Do you know him so intimately that you'll continue to hang on to him and he'll hang on to you as we well know through the unbearable times? Have you made a conscious decision to forget the evil and the wrong done to you? Or do you catch yourself rehearsing it, both mentally and maybe sometimes verbally? Do you catch yourself not forgetting, but remembering the bad things, the hard things, the evil things? Or do you choose to forget them? Where is your emphasis? Where is your effort? Is it on God-centered character or man-centered achievement? Hmm. You know, you can only anticipate the future when you have reconciled your past. Joseph had reconciled his past through the Lord, and so he anticipated the future. What happens to us isn't the big factor. It's how we respond to what happens to us. So my exhortation to you is you examine what God is doing in your life and you hang on to the good. You remember the blessing and you forget the evil and you trust God. Would you bow your heads with me here this morning as we wrap up? I realize that there might be someone here today, probably regularly we have people come into our service who do not know Jesus as Savior. Let me just say to you, God loves you. He sent a son to die for you. And becoming a Christian is simple. It's not easy to live the Christian life, but it's simple to become a Christian. I say it's as easy as the ABCs. We have to admit that we're a sinner. Romans 3, 10 and 23 say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, no, not one. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to believe that God sent his own son into the world, died on the cross, shed his blood to redeem us, to purchase our salvation. It's called vicarious atonement. That's what John 1.12 says. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the authority to become the sons of God. And then we have to call upon him. We have to commit our life to him. We have to confess that he's our savior. The Bible says it this way, that we're to call upon him to save us. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have to call and make that sacrifice personal and say, God, 
I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that you died in my place. And I'm asking you to become my Savior. I call upon you. I confess you to be my Savior. I commit my life to you. If you've never done that, I hope that today would be that day. You can do it in your seat. If you're uncertain or you've got questions, we'll be glad to help you. But if you've never trusted Christ, do it today. Christian, this has primarily been a message to you, and I hope that you'll evaluate the story of Joseph, the success of Joseph, because of his commitment to his Lord. Father, use the theology in this story, this narrative in Genesis to bring us back to a place that we surrender ourselves to you and we ask that you will continue to work and to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.